Support for Think Humanities is brought to you by the Spalding University School of Creative and Professional Writing. Think Humanities, a podcast for people who love history, philosophy, culture, literature, civic dialogue, and the arts. Think Humanities from Kentucky Humanities, where we have been telling Kentucky's story for 51 years. Here's your host, Bill Goodman. Welcome to Think Humanities Podcast. Our very special guest today on the podcast is Dr. Brian Clardy of Murray State University, an associate professor at Murray, but um, maybe not more importantly, but certainly uh, important to Kentucky Humanities. He is our current board chair uh, for Kentucky Humanities, and we're so glad to have him uh, on our Think Humanities Podcast. Brian, welcome. Thank you for having me. I'm going to ask you to uh, tell us a little bit about your background, how long you've been at Murray, uh, mm-hmm. how long you have uh, been in academia, a little bit about your background in, the, um, in theology and some of your uh, scholarship. So um, uh, again, it's just a, a real honor to have you on. Well, it's, a, it's an honor to be here and to be uh, active in such a brilliant organization as Kentucky Humanities. Kentucky Humanities does a lot of good. And it's, it's a pleasure, it's an honor to be a part of that. Tell me about your background. Well, I'm a historian. I'm a diplomatic and political historian uh, by training. I um, earned my bachelor's at UT Martin in political science and minored in history. And then I went a little bit deeper into the political science field by getting a master's in uh, public administration, a little bit more specialized. Uh, but then I decided when I was going to earn a doctorate to... Uh, get it in history, historical studies at SIU Carbondale, and my political science background really figured large into that because I was doing diplomatic history, uh, U.S. foreign relations since 1898, uh, political history since 1877, certainly uh, civil rights, the 1960s, anti-war protest, and there was a lot of overlap between history and politics, and so that's the one thing that I really enjoy. Now, the theological piece that that deserves a little bit more development insofar as that. Uh, when I lived in Chicago, I was teaching at Triton College in River Grove. I had a very heavy teaching schedule, but I, I, I got a feeling that I should be enrolled in seminary because I was considering at one point uh, going into the ministry at the United Church of Christ, the UCC. And so after a lot of thinking, a lot of praying, a lot of reflecting, I'd went to Chicago Theological Seminary part-time. I enjoyed the classes, um, but I also had the feeling, "Mm, ordained ministry is not for me. I could still write. I could still deliver homilies. I could still participate in theological discourse without wearing the collar. And so when I took the job at Murray State University, I was came there in, in 2006. Well, five years later, I enrolled in our um, EFM program, Education for Ministry program, uh, which is a four-year program sponsored by Sewanee a School of Theology at the University of the South, and uh, it's for lay people. Uh, the first year was uh, Hebrew Bible, second year Greek New Testament, third year church history, and fourth year is the development of, of theological uh, studies. And it's a four-year accredited program, and so I did that. And so um, I sort of finished a, a theological education with even, without having to get a Master of Divinity. How did that enhance your love of uh, world and American history? 
when you talk about people like Paul Tillich and Reinhold Niebuhr and the fact that they influence so many policymakers, uh, that's definitely a relationship there. And when you talk about the pe brave people like uh, uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, Martin Luther King, and uh, Oscar Romero, and some of the things that, that they had done, that of course all three of those were martyrs, uh, that figures well into the historical narrative as well. When you were um, growing up, when you were a child, and mm -hmm. you uh, and I just learned this, um, did you always, uh, are you a native of Fulton, Kentucky? I am. I am. I, I, well, Fulton, there's Fulton, Kentucky on one side of the state line. On the other side is South Fulton, Tennessee. I was born in Fulton, but I was raised in South Fulton. And so it's, these are two small towns right next to each other. And we have the brazen audacity to call ourselves the Twin Cities. <laughs> well, describe for our podcast listeners where Fulton is, because you don't get much farther south and still be in Kentucky or that's true in in Tennessee, for that matter, uh, if you're in Fulton, Kentucky. So uh, just give us a geographic picture of, of where Fulton is. If you could, it's in the heart of the Jackson Purchase area. It's about 50 miles south of Paducah. Uh, of course, Paducah is a little bit farther to the north. Uh, Fulton is 50 miles south of that, 20, 20 miles slightly west of Mayfield, yeah. I would say. And it sits right on the border with northwest Tennessee. When folks say far west Kentucky, far that's, west. that's Fulton. That's as far as you can get. So when you were uh, a child, when you were a kid, when you were in the band, you mentioned uh, this morning when we were talking, were you a student of history? Were you interested in, in uh, historical facts and figures? Absolutely. Uh, I came of age during several different events. Um, the end of the Vietnam War and America's sort of processing that angst of having uh, participated in that conflict. Watergate certainly was, was fodder for our, our dinner table conversations. I remember the Irwin hearings very well. I watched them on TV, didn't understand it, but it was certainly more interested than Gilligan's Island. Um, but I did watch it and kind of picked up on a few things. I knew that President Nixon was in trouble, but I didn't know to what extent. But I do remember that and watching his resignation um, in August of 74. And it was also around the time of the Bicentennial. And around the time of the Bicentennial, a lot of things were on television and a lot of things were in public media. Uh, the Bicentennial Moments that CBS used to do uh, every day, of different factoids in history. Even Dairy Queen joined in on that. They would come up with these commemorative food items that have historical facts on it. I don't remember that. Oh, uh, the yeah. peanut butter milkshakes. Um, <laughs> George Washington Carver being featured on a cup dealing with those peanut butter milkshakes. I had not made the connection between the two until I started enjoying them, but that's how I learned about George Washington Carver and the development of the peanut. So yeah, the, the, those 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 memories of, of growing up and watching uh, the hostage crisis and uh, the rise of Ronald Reagan and different things, those were very important to my formative years. And of course, being in the band, you learn a lot about music history, you learn a lot about teamwork and showmanship, and so those things also influenced me as well. Did you learn um, Kentucky or Southern history as a, as a child in uh, grade and middle school? 
Uh, you could say that. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of my teachers, and I don't want to get too deep in the weeds with this, but a lot of my teachers taught us a lot about Southern history, but it was from the standpoint of the lost cause narrative. And of we learned like about the Civil War, but I heard the Southern names of it. Instead of Shiloh, it was Pittsburgh Landing. Instead of Antietam, it was Sharpsburg. And so I also learned that the war was all about states' rights as opposed to slavery and all that. And, you know, you don't qu didn't question your teachers then. You accepted what you were taught. Um, of course, were you in an integrated school system? Yes, yes. I was one generation away from integration. Integration happened in my, in my school district in 1962-63 year. My mother was part of that. She was a senior in high school. She was part of that first group that integrated South Fulton mm -hmm. High School. Um, of course, I enrolled in kindergarten in 72, 10 years later. And um, yes, um, it was integrated, but there were still some holdovers in terms of the, t the philosophy of teaching, and especially with regard to history. Isn't there a certain bit of irony that uh, we're talking about uh, as we do the podcast today, a 50-year anniversary of, of Watergate? Yes. Uh, at the same time, we're learning that some history in the United States today, in some states, including Kentucky, let's uh, be honest with ourselves, that's right, um, is still being looked at or being reexamined, and uh, certain teaching methods are uh, professing to um, exclude uh, the truth and the history of uh, of our nation, and you are just telling us about that same period of time uh, occurring 50 years ago. Um, you witnessed and lived through that same uh, erasure of uh, the real history of this country. And that is very disturbing. What's happening in Kentucky, what's happening in Florida and different places, uh, certain history is being legislated out of the curriculum. Um, I don't understand the place that comes from, because as a former president of the United States, John Adams said, facts are stubborn things. You cannot change the fact that slavery happened, Jim Crow happened, uh, the Chinese Exclusion Acts happened, um, different other tragedies in history cannot be altered or changed. And to leave them out of the curriculum, I think it does students a terrible disservice because what and I don't I don't mean to sound too hyperbolic but when you forget the mistakes and you don't learn the lessons of history you will certainly repeat them Santiana was right and it may not happen in my lifetime but I'm afraid that if a, a lot of these important lessons of history are not being taught to students uh, we could go back down some of those same paths again I'm not saying slavery would come back but it could lead to some pretty awkward situations in this country. Well, your examples are um, are right on and, and very um, uh, profound in what you're saying. Um, do you remember uh, not the exact moment? Do you but do you remember when, as an older person, uh, maybe middle high school could have even happened in college? Mm -hmm. um, when you discovered on your own or you read or were assigned something that opened your eyes to 
uh, a, a theory that did not go in accord nuts to what you had learned as a as a middle schooler sure. uh, about the Civil War, for example? Uh, the writings of Eric Foner in particular were very informative. Eric Foner, of course, comes out of Columbia University, excellent writer on Civil War history and on Reconstruction. It gave me a counter-narrative to what I was taught. And so then I started questioning uh, the veracity of things that I had learned about U.S. history uh, growing up. I started questioning a whole lot of different things. Um, the Native American, how the Native American was treated. Um, of course, when we were growing up, we were watching these cowboy movies, and the Native American was viewed as, as the other, the evil. Um, they were involved in, in a war over their land, their property that they had occupied for thousands of years. Uh, it, 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 those writings, uh, Noam Chomsky and others, uh, sort of uh, changed a lot of the pedagogy that I was taught. And so it was an eye-opening experience, but a very needed and cathartic one. And that uh, discussion uh, and debate uh, continues today. It does. It does. Um, as we talked about, I believe it was two summers ago, a lot of these things are being couched as critical race theory, and they're anything but critical race theory. I don't teach it. I've never learned it. Uh, I'm not a lawyer. Those are legal concepts and legal constructs. But to simply take different portions of history and say, oh, we cannot teach this because this is going to cause people to feel bad. That's not the point either. Uh, we can't teach this because it is too divisive or that it's going to bring up uh, some old resentments and different things. It could result in violence. It could result in social, social disunion. And I don't buy that at all. When we go back and we look at the mistakes of, that have been made in our history, I think those can be learning experiences. And it could actually bring people together to realize things have not always been great. They've not always been pleasant. But we learn from that. And we try to do better with each passing generation. But when you start rewriting the history and take that out of the narrative, it kind of gums up that process. Uh, Brian, uh, you are, uh, for us as board chair and uh, in your position at Murray, uh, an eloquent speaker. Uh, and you are uh, you. using your position at Kentucky Humanities uh, to uh, address the humanities and the importance uh, of uh, that uh, genre uh, in uh, America today and in the world today yes. and in Kentucky uh, today. Uh, you have spoken uh, most recently to the Paducah Rotary Club, uh, to a standing room only crowd, uh, I must say. Uh, you've just recently... Actually, there was the Chamber of Commerce. Chamber of Commerce, Chamber of Commerce excuse yes. me, the Paducah mm -hmm. Chamber of Commerce. You've spoken most recently to the uh, Daughters of American Revolution uh, meeting in uh, Lexington, uh, and there will be other uh, chances for you to, uh, as I've said uh, often, uh, spread the gospel of the humanities across the Commonwealth. Sure. Um, why are the humanities uh, important uh, to all of us today, uh, and, and why should they be important? The humanities go a long way in showing us all what is common to us. We, as I've said in our in our speeches, we we have aspirations, we have fears, we hope that we can do better in the future. We hope for better quality of life. 
we all have that sense of fascination and wonder about the universe, about life, about death, about history. Uh, we all have a common fascination with drama and, and the telling of a story. The humanities can go a long way in terms of uniting people who may be from different backgrounds, different socioeconomic status, uh, different racial groups, political affiliation, uh, different ideologies. I believe that the humanities can be that, that cement that can hold society together and show what's unique to us all and the, the common bonds that we have toward us all. Because if you turn on the news today and you turn on different uh, stations, on, on cable news, you would think that uh, we were just on the precipice of Civil War too. I don't buy that for a minute. I believe that... Um, there are differences in the society. There are differences in terms of how we interpret political narratives and certainly differences in how we vote. But at the end of the day, we all could use those stories that inspire us, that cheer us up, that make us laugh, that make us think. Books play a major role in that. Performance art plays a major role in that. Um, certainly organizations like Kentucky Humanities that provide Chautauqua speakers throughout the, throughout the state, throughout the Commonwealth, uh, certainly bring history to life. Um, I think that if we're, we're going to have a chance at, at keeping liberal democracy and, and stable and sane discourse in our country going, the humanities can play a significant role in that in getting us to dial down the rhetoric and turning down the temperature and coming together and forming at least a consensus that, you know, this world is an interesting place. This country's an interesting place. Let's learn about it. Let's have dialogue. Let's have the discussion. Let's keep the shouting and the finger pointing and the recriminations to a minimum. Um, the Kentucky Humanities, as I said, Kentucky Humanities, Daughters of the American Revolution and different other groups, uh, Kentucky Arts Council and others, we could all collaborate together on reminding of us what's really, really important to our common survival. Dr. Brian Clardy is our guest on uh, today's Think Humanities podcast, and we will have more with Dr. Clardy right after this word from our wonderful underwriter at Spalding University, the Senior Jeter, Jeter Naslin uh, Karen Mann Graduate School of Writing. Spalding University's low residency MFA in creative writing offers outstanding instruction in a supportive literary community. Study across genres. Explore the interrelatedness of the arts. Travel to Paris next summer for short-term study abroad or stay at Louisville's historic Brown Hotel during week-long residencies on campus. Study fiction, poetry, creative nonfiction, writing for children and young adults, and writing for TV, screen, and stage. Learn more at spalding.edu forward slash writing or email schoolofwriting at spalding.edu. Dr. Clardy is uh, back with us on our podcast uh, for today. We're talking humanities and history and all things that are good in the world. But right. uh, I'm going to have to challenge uh, Dr. Clardy and, and ask him to be a little bit more convincing. There are a lot of people that would argue today that we are on the premises of, um, of a civil war in this country, that uh, you only have to look at um, 
at violence in America um, that is seems like there's a school shooting every other day. Mm. Uh, there is an ex-president who is calling for open protest uh, uh, because of a prosecution that he may or may not uh, go through uh, as we listen to this podcast today. We don't know the outcome of that. We also see the vitriol that is uh, coming out of uh, Washington, D.C., investigating uh, uh, crimes or alleged crimes by uh, a sitting president uh, and his family. Um, it seems like that we are um, constantly at each other's throats, uh, that we are divided by party, um, and uh, there's not a lot of uh, satisfaction with the way uh, our government is, uh, is running. Why do you have this optimistic view? Because down through history and even today, we still have people of goodwill who are willing to say, hey, time out, this isn't working. We still have people who are trying to bring us back to what Abraham Lincoln called the better angels of our nature. Uh, as long as those voices have a forum, as long as those voices can be heard, I think that there's a chance that we can be pulled back from that brink. Um, Certainly, you don't have to have on a backwards collar to do it, even though religious institutions do play a role, can play a role in that. But uh, for every school shooter, you have a David Hogg. Uh, for every, every person calling for political violence, you have groups and communities calling for reasonable dialogue. Uh, I, just, I just refuse to give evil and hatred the last word. Um... I just believe that there are enough people of goodwill from all backgrounds and from both parties, Democrats and Republicans, who are willing to reach out and say, hey, we're Americans, we're humans, we're citizens, uh, we can do better than this. I'm going to tell you what, I was, I was at Fort Donaldson a few days ago, and I'd been there several times before, but I got the notion this past week to go to Fort Donaldson Battlefield. Of course, that was February 1862. That was a very important battle in the Civil War. And I walked along those battlefields and walked across those encampments, and I, I thought to myself, uh, did the soldiers who fought, bled, and die here, did they come all that way just so that we could rip each other apart? And I don't think they did. I think that in fighting that war, they wanted to make sure that they left behind a society that would function and that would help America live up to her ideals. And so, yes, that, that visit to that sacred and hollow ground um, inspired me. People say, well, you go to all these battlefields, all these Civil War spots, all these cemeteries. Isn't that boring? Isn't that depressing? No, it's not at all. It's inspiring. It lets us know where we have been and an America that can be, an America, a society that can function, that can be a beacon of light, that can that liberal democracy isn't on its deathbed. Uh, maybe this is the, the beginning of the end of those type of recriminations. Because as I said, I just refuse to give evil the last word. Why do you think storytelling is so important? When you're able to tell your story, you're able to tell your truth. When you're able to tell your truth, people listen. People can empathize. Uh, it helps us to empathize. It helps us to hear each other. Not just to listen to each other, but to hear each other. 
and define those things that are that are very common. Um, the uh, Chautauqua performance that we had at our last board meeting, I forgot her name, but she did a remarkable job taking us back to those mining communities yeah. in the 1930s. Mm-hmm. It was very riveting. Uh, we got to hear about the stories of privation, the stories of want, the stories of activism. Um, and it's very relevant to 2023, where we are now. There's still poverty in this country. There's still uh, political resistance uh, to to change. But here again, it was something that we overcame. And it's, and, and, and her, her, her performance back in, in uh, November let me know where we have been and where we can go, the kind of nation we can be. That was Anne so, Shelby. Anne and, Shelby, um, yes. And uh, her character is not... Uh, is not Jemima Boone, is it? Um, I should know this because uh, of the job that I do, but we'll get that, and it's on our website and our speakers and our Chautauqua uh, mm-hmm. roster. Uh, but you're right. I mean, that that was a story that she told about the struggle that they had mm-hmm. uh, that, that still goes on today. It sure does, and we need to do more of that. We all need to share our truth. You may not even necessarily agree with the story that's being told But at least you're getting another perspective. It helps you to get out of that bubble and build. That is the problem. Too many of us live in these bubbles where we only hear our own biases confirmed and where we shut out other voices, we shut out other opinions, and we're willing to demonize each other that have have a different view from us. And that has got to stop. And I believe that the humanities can burst those bubbles. And create a sense of community, Brian. I know you're uh, you're a big fan of the Kentucky Book Festival. Yes, and, uh, you you are uh, you you attend. Uh, you you help us as a volunteer. Um, tell us, uh, you know, I do run into people, and I know you do too. And not everybody can attend every function that we uh, provide, and um, uh, th- that's completely understandable. Mm-hmm. I do run into people that have never been to a book festival. What are the most convincing? Um, ways that you can tell somebody who's never visited uh, a book festival or maybe did uh, attend one 10 or 15 years ago and hasn't been back uh, why uh, the Kentucky Book Festival is something that is uh, um, a must for uh, Kentuckians uh, in this day and age. Why is it important? I never met William Faulkner. I never met Harriet Beecher Stowe. Those are two. Uh, those are some of our great luminaries, our great writers. I never met Truman Capote, but I tell you who I did meet. I met Wendell Berry, and I met Crystal Wilkinson. And yesterday I met Silas House. Yeah, tell me about your meeting with Silas House. You were really excited about that, weren't you? Yes, the book Lark Ascending is a classic. It's a modern classic, and uh, Silas definitely reminds me of Faulkner in a way. Uh, some of his writing styles and some of the themes that he covers. And I was really starstruck. And he was there at the book festival, and I didn't get a chance to bump into him. But hearing authors like Silas House and meeting them, hearing Barbara King Solver, meeting John Meacham, David Blight from Yale, when you when you meet these celebrities, I consider them celebrities because sure. they're, they're wordsmiths. 
uh, they take us to a world beyond our own, whether it's Demon Copperhead, Lark Ascending, or Horse with Geraldine Brooks, or whether it's a history, historical narrative such as what John Meacham wrote about Abraham Lincoln, it transports us back to another reality. And to actually meet some of these creators of culture and creators of ideas it is extremely exciting to meet them, to take a picture or a selfie with them, and to talk to them about their ideas. And so uh, the Kentucky Book Festival, I think it is a, it is a must for people who engage in civ civil discourse and social discourse, who, are, who love the written word. Um, it's, 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 it's just like going to me, and I don't mean to, here again, be over-exaggerating, <laughs> but if you're into movies and you go to Hollywood and you bump into different celebrities along the street, it has that same effect. Yeah. The same exact effect. Yeah. Well, I, I tell you what, it's, uh, to me, it's always been a marvel uh, that, that someone can sit down with pen and paper, and let's face it, not everybody uh, uses that uh, style today, um, right. most of it's on computer, right. but can sit down and put uh, their thoughts in words that turn out to be as beautiful as some of the narrative that we read in Horse by Geraldine Brooks or, or all of the ones that you just mentioned without, uh, or even going back to the classics like Robert Penn Warren yes. or uh, another great, great Kentuckian um, or the many, many that... Uh, uh, wrote in that uh, uh, genre, uh, that generation, and before. Um, it is truly, um, and Kentucky's blessed. Um, Here we are. And a big shout out, uh, both of us were at the Kentucky Writers Hall of Fame that the Carnegie Center in Lexington puts on uh, every year, mm -hmm. and uh, what an impressive uh, lineup. Our, our good close friend Richard Taylor mm -hmm. uh, was uh, honored uh, as a member, a former Port Laureate, and the author of many uh, poetry books, mm -hmm. along with a number of other uh, great uh, Kentuckians who were uh, recognized. Mm -hmm. uh, it's just something about, uh, and, and in the humanities, we share that with all of them and with all Kentuckians. That's right. That's right. Uh, you mentioned Robert Penn Warren. The interesting thing is uh, uh, this weekend, most likely tomorrow, I'll, I'll go visit my father. Of course, you know, he's had his health challenges and health concerns. But on the way back, um, which is about 10 miles from his house, that's the Robert Penn Warren birthplace. Yeah. And I, I was there several years ago, but yeah. I want to go back to that yeah. tomorrow on yeah. my way back home. Because well, it's inspirational. It's very inspirational. Yeah. And works like all the presidents, not all the presidents, men, huge Freudian slip, all the king's men, yeah. <laughs> uh, all the king's men, uh -huh. those, those are just a very important part of the literary canon of this country. And Kentucky has blessed the world, whether we're talking about Robert Penn Warren, Bell Hooks, Clint Brooks. I mean, the list just goes on and on and on. And, and every day, um, new writers are coming to the fore that Kentucky Humanities supports. Yeah, well, uh, you're right, and uh, we're uh, working every single day on the Kentucky Book Festival coming up on October 21st. Don't have any big announcements uh, on this podcast, but it won't be long before we'll uh, have some uh, announcements to make about the people who are coming from outside, as well as the uh, many, many uh, Kentucky writers who will be there uh, to sign their books and maybe to be there for the first time. It's a thrill it uh, for them, and uh, we want everybody to mark that on their calendar and be sure that uh, uh, the week of October 21st, you're uh, coming out to the Joseph Beth Booksellers 
in Lexington Green to join us uh, for the Kentucky Book Festival. Uh, Brian, any uh, parting words as we say goodbye uh, until the next time you're before our microphone? Um, read. Read. Buy books. Engage. Technology is well and good. I enjoy a nice uh, streaming service movie. I like to binge watch different things on different streaming services. But there's nothing better and more satisfying to the soul than to find an author whose ideas you find interesting and to go to a bookstore, uh, either a, 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 like an in-house uh, books and uh, a brick and mortar bookstore or go online and order something and get that book and have a nice cup of coffee, cup of, a glass of wine and, and some music in the background. There's nothing better, no better way to spend an afternoon or holiday season just read and enjoy the written word. Amen and amen. Dr. Brian Clardy, thanks so much for being with us on Think Humanities. Thank you. It's an honor. Think Humanities is a podcast from Kentucky Humanities, where we have been telling Kentucky's story for 51 years. Think Humanities is available at kyhumanities.org, iTunes, and SoundCloud. Join us next week for a new episode of Think Humanities.